Notice what Peter is bringing out here now by the Holy Spirit. So verse 8, he says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. He starts verse 8 with the word finally. And, of course, that's not the end of the letter because we still have a few more chapters to go. But what he's in, he, what, what the finally there is, he's actually closing out a, a point or a thought that he started back in chapter 2, verse 11, when he said, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. He's starting this section right there in verse 11. And then in 13 through 17, he addresses through this little thought, this, this one section here, he addresses several different specific groups of people. In 13 through 17, he's addressing Christians as citizens, our citizenship, how it relates to authority. You remember how we talked about the submission to all types of human authority. Then in 18 through 25, he spoke to servants and told them how to relate to their masters. So those Christians who were servants um, and how they were to relate to their masters. And then in chapter 3, 1 through 6, he was speaking to Christian wives, mainly of unbelievers, and showed them submission and how that submission would work towards winning their husbands to Christ. And then in verse 7, he spoke to husbands about living wisely and considerately with their wives. Now, to close out that thought, Peter brings it back and he's speaking to the entire church. So everybody here who is a believer, everybody who's a Christian, this he's bringing it back together to close out this thought. He does that. It's interesting how Peter, he's using Psalm 34, verses 12 through 16. That's what he's actually, that's his text that he's using to teach this principle. And so verses 8 and 9, he's telling you the principle. And then verses 10 through 12, which is where we'll go today, he's, is just the scripture that is emphasizing what Peter is bringing out here now by the Holy Spirit. So verse 8, he says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. That's not a small verse. It's not real long in the amount of space it takes up, but that, that verse is loaded. And so what we're going to do, we're going to look at each one of these points. He says, so there's five qualities here. He lists. The first one is unity of mind. Another word that could be translated there is harmony. And we've heard the word harmony most of the time. It's a music term, right? It refers to different singers or different instruments playing different notes that complement one another. And I was thinking about the harmony and I've heard some harmony in my life that was not so harmonious or so-called harmony. As far as music goes, you can hear people try to harmonize. It's a difficult thing to do. I personally can't do it. My ear, it's not there in music. Some people have it, some people don't. You can learn it. 
But when people try to do it and it doesn't work, it's not a pretty thing. But I thought, what do you have to have in a song to make harmony? And then I thought, wait a minute. The first thing you've got to have is everybody playing the same song. Right? It's pretty important. I don't care how good the notes are. If you're singing a completely different song, it's not going to work very well. So everybody's got to be on the same song. And then you notice there that in music, in the harmony, it's not the same notes, but they complement one another. And I heard Ronnie preach, I don't know, a long time ago, and he told a story about um, an orchestra warming up. And I think there was, I don't know, it could be anything. I mean, you can picture any type of big orchestra like that. It can be brass and horns or it can be strings, whatever. And you can go listen to them right before they perform or right before they actually start playing together. And they're all, I think it's really the case with horns, brass, a lot, because they're kind of getting their lungs ready and they're blowing their horns, make sure everything's working. And it just sounds terrible. Why? Because they're not trying to play with each other. They're just worried about my thing right now. I'm going to get it warmed up. But then when the director comes in and he gets them all on the same page and they start to play, you got the tuba over here playing these deep bass notes and you have the flutes over here that are playing completely different. But when they come together, it is an incredible sound. And that's what harmony is. That's what he's talking about here when we come together as Christians in a body of, of, of believers, we're all going to have different talents and gifts and, and ideas and things that work, but they complement one another. And that's part of it. goes back to what Nate was teaching this morning about being unselfish. The, you know, it's just there's going to be times when you may not be in the forefront or there may be times when you may have to be in the forefront when that may not be the most comfortable place for you but as Christians if we come together and complement one another's gifts and complement one another's talents and God-given abilities and God's callings in our lives that's what Peter's talking about here that's harmonious This is exactly what Jesus prayed for. Look at John 17:21. St. John 17:21, Jesus was praying for his people. He says that they may also that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This harmony, this living together that Peter's talking about, what is it for? Jesus says there, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. When we come together as Christians, and there's something different about us because we love one another Christ also said, I give unto you a new commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. When we do that, it makes the world notice. When we do the opposite, 
the world also notices. All you Christians can't even get along with each other. The biker gangs should not have closer fellowship than we do. You know, the clubs, the whatever they be, shouldn't have a better relationship with each other. I know at, at Stratford, the, the volunteer firefighters are really tight. They're a tight group. That's good. That's great. But they should not be a tighter group than we are as Christians. And even, even outside of a local body, this is especially true in here, in our local body of believers, our family. But it's also true, have you ever met a Christian somewhere? And you can, you, you can kind of tell somebody, you, you kind of see things, and you see somebody praying at, over their meal at a restaurant or something, and you get to talking to them, and man, you just, it's like, it's like meeting a long-lost family member. It's like, wow, you knew Uncle Tommy? That's about how it feels, right? It's like, that's how we should be. When we find out somebody is a fellow Christian, it should, there should be an immediate bond there because our bond is Christ and his gospel, and that is harmonious. That's what Peter's talking about. So Jesus prayed for it. It is also expected of every church body. Look at 1 Corinthians 1.10. Now, this is Paul writing to the Corinthian church, and he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. So Paul is telling them, be united, be like-minded, be together on these things. If there's issues that arise, which there will be, There'll be issues in doctrine. There'll be issues in application of doctrine, in church structure. All those things, there's going to be times when they arise. What are we to do? We're to sort them out, not let them fester. Bring them to the forefront and come to agreement on it. And a lot of that, this was, a, this was an extremely convicting thing as I, as I studied this. Um, a lot of it is exactly what Nate talked about. This morning, a lot of it is what I talked about last week during the equipping hour. He talked about selfishness this morning. There's times when you just have to set that aside and put your brothers first and realize, you know what? Maybe I'm making a bigger deal out of this than what it really should be. What I talked about last week was pride. And I was talking to OB, where is it? there he is, uh, Saturday night, no, Friday night. One of those nights. And we, we got into a discussion. It was on a particular doctrinal issue that's one of those that's debated all the time amongst solid believers. And his point was exactly right. He said, it's just really, or he, he, he said, I want to see people come together and discuss these things with open minds. And how difficult is that for our pride to do? It's, it's just hard. I don't know why we have to be right. Why we have to think we have to be right just for the sake of being right all the time. 
I'm not talking about trying to compromise truth. That's not what I'm talking about. But when we're talking about coming together with other brothers and sisters in Christ and discussing doctrine, why can't we come to it with a loving attitude and an open mind and say, you know what? I do. I, I see you as a brother. I see you as an intelligent brother who understands doctrine, and I want to know where you're coming from. Man, how many problems would we solve with that? Just that attitude. Just a, it, it looks like a little change, but it's actually quite a large change. So the second point he makes, the second quality that he brings out there in verse 8 is sympathy. Having compassion. It means to feel together or to co-suffer. So what helps us to do this? What brings us together to, have the, to, to be co-sufferers with Christ? What, what brings that bond to Christians? Number one is truth. It's the truth of the gospel. It's the truth of the scriptures. We think on the same lines in certain situations. And so studying God's word helps us to sympathize with one another's struggles and problems. Um, to, to think on the same lines, it, it really is an amazing thing whenever you have that kind of a bond with somebody. Avery came by my classroom Thursday. Was it Thursday? And and his sister was there and I just I would ask you to pray for her. She's going through some struggles, but she said she said something about being a good person or something like that. I really feel like I'm a good person. I just don't know for sure where I am. Basically she doesn't know where she stands with the Lord, but she knows she's a good person. And I'm, in my, you know what my mind's doing. Well, it was neat because before I said anything, Avery brings up the scripture. There is none good. No, not one. There is none righteous. And I thought, because of our bond in truth in the scriptures, we can suffer together better. And I think that's the case with all of all Christians. When you see a situation... Um, you see people in, in sin. You see people going through this or going through that. And, and a Christian's mind thinks completely different about those problems than an unbeliever's mind. Right? Somebody's sick in the hospital. We think we've got to get people to pray. We've got to go pray for those people. We've we got to seek God to see what, how is he going to use this for his glory. Unbelievers don't think like that. Unbelievers are all about what the doctor's going to do. And not that we don't think those things too, but that's their main thought. How am I going to get over this? I'm going to, you know, will myself through this disease. I'm strong. I'm a fighter. Oh, this, he's going to make it. He's a fighter. And the Christian's mind is, he's going to make it if God wills. And we have this bond. Because of that truth, right? And that's what I think that's what he's saying here. We need to strengthen that bond. We need to work on that bond. We need to think on these things so that we can be closer together in those things. So truth brings us that. The other thing that brings us together is praying. 
Praying together helps us to feel together. Why? Knowing, if we come together in public prayer, we will better understand each other's burdens. Right? That's where that, that's when a lot of times these discussions come out. I'm struggling with this sin. I'm struggling with this sin. I have a family member who is lost, and I need you to pray for them. I have a desire to do a certain outreach, and I need you to raise that up in prayer so that God would open those doors. Those prayer meetings, those times when we come together in public prayer is where we can draw the closest together. Because not only this, not only are you telling me about it, but in those prayer meetings, I'm going to hear you pray about it. And if I hear you pray about your sin, or if I hear you pray about your struggles, or I hear you pray about God opening a door, then I get to know your heart much better than you just telling me about it. And if you hear me pray for your struggles or your situations, we're going to be closer. And if I hear you pray over a sin that I'm struggling with, and I find out we're struggling over, maybe maybe struggling over the same things, and we're going to pray together, and every time I struggle with it, I'm going to pray for you, and every time you struggle with it, you pray for me. Those kind of things bring us close, and we're missing it. We're lacking it today. And that's why with this, with our prayer meeting that we're establishing right now, it is so critical that we desire to be there. It is so critical that we make an effort to come because it will make us stronger as a body. It will make God's people stronger. Prayer is our power. That's where it comes from. It's, it's realizing that we can't do this. He has to do it, and that's why we pray. And change us to, to adapt to your will. Change our will to fit yours. So sympathy for others can come through those things, especially for our fellow Christians. But just like we heard this morning, selfishness, we can't have sympathy for others if we're preoccupied with ourselves. You just can't. And Nate talked a lot about that this morning. I think it's providential that this is the same day. You know, somebody else is telling you about their problem and all you can do is think about yours. Or somebody else is pouring their guts out to you and you're just ready to give them this this three-step program and let's move on. The truth is, a lot of times, sympathy can be relatively quiet. Somebody has problems. They don't need to hear necessarily all kinds of advice, although that may be part of it. But there's sometimes when there's nothing you can do. There's There's situations that are sad. There's situations that are extremely sensitive and we can't fix them all we can do is sympathize all we can do is weep with those who weep i think that's sometimes our calling we can't knowing how someone feels is a great help have you ever uh, but telling them that you know how they feel is not usually good, really a good thing. 
Because by telling them, you know, I know how you feel is a lot like saying I really don't. Because if I was in, most of the time, those people don't want to hear those things. Right? Sometimes it just takes being quiet and crying with somebody and praying with them. That'll bring it together. The third thing he says is brotherly. It's a family. And I've already hit on this, not as strangers or acquaintances, but as family, as brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, interesting thing about families, I don't have to worry about running one off. I've had some pretty heated debates with my brother. Well, matter of fact, we've had some pretty physical altercations at times too. But I don't have to worry about hurting his feelings and now he's not going to be my brother anymore. So we can get real sometimes. You know, it can come down to, we can get down to what's really the issue in these things, whether it's spiritual or not spiritual. It's We can get down to the nitty gritty, right? Shouldn't we be the same as Christians? Shouldn't we be able to talk openly and not worry about somebody bailing ship? Because the families rarely end the relationship, and that's how we're to be. We're to be, but at the same time, at the same time, our families. In most cases, I know there's situations with families out there that don't fit the mold. But in in most cases, families will kind of stick together. If my brother called me and he needed help, I'd be there. He knows that, and it's the same way with the other way around. Shouldn't I be that way with? my Christian brothers? Shouldn't it be even more so with those who are suffering, who are struggling with Christ? So so he says to be brotherly. He says to be kind-hearted or tender-hearted, which is the exact opposite of what we were before Christ entered our lives. Before Christ, before the Holy Spirit changed our heart, we were hard-hearted towards God. All of us were. It may have come out in different ways, but you know inwardly you were hard-hearted towards Him. You were hard-hearted towards His people, towards His plan, towards His Word. If you're not a believer today, you know right now as I speak this that you're hard-hearted. Towards Christ, You have a heart of stone, but he has removed that for his people. He's taken out that heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh. And Peter's saying, act like it. You don't have to act like that old hard-hearted, grumpy, whatever you were before. You've now been given this tender heart. You've been given the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. You can live tender-hearted, especially towards one another, but towards everyone. I mean, and so our heart should be tender, first of all, towards God. And if our heart is tender towards God, if our heart is tender towards Jesus, how, really, how can it be hard towards sinners? 
Because what did Christ do? He died. He died for those sinners. He died for us while we were hard-hearted towards him, while we were at enmity with him, while we were yet sinners, he died on the cross. And now we want to puff up and try to act like somehow we're better than those people who are still left in their sin, who are still left in their blindness. No, Peter's saying have a tender heart, be kind-hearted. This is very this is this is something that's easy to see and apply. It's like you 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 all know people who are just kind of not kind. Just kind of rude, obnoxious. There's people who are professing Christians that act that way. Maybe there's Christians that act that way. That's why Peter's given us this instruction. Maybe you act that way. I don't know. I don't know. Examine yourself and see to it that you're kind-hearted. And, and when you compare this one with sympathy, they go hand-in-hand hand, um, relating to other people. Because what it really comes down to is we should strive to feel like, feel what they are having, what they're feeling. We should have that compassion. That's what will give us compassion. Put yourself in their shoes. Try to put yourself in their shoes, mentally speaking, and try to understand their struggles. It, it, this is something, you know, dealing with teenagers a lot, there's times this is a, this is a hard thing to do. It's kind of like Nate was talking this morning about the Minecraft with his kids. He just not interested. I can understand that with uh, teenagers because some of their struggles seem so minute at times. Now, some of them's not. Some of them's very real. But there's sometimes that I forget. But I was I was one of them, and I remember those things being very magnified to me. And why can I not put myself in their shoes and have compassion? That's what Peter's saying. Have compassion on those things. For those people. And then the fifth one he says is humility. We're humble in spirit. We're called to be servants as Christians. And there's two ways you can do this. You can, to, to follow that call, you can act the part of a servant. You can go through all the motions, you can serve other people. But to be humble in spirit is to accept that role in our heart. That, that's, I mean, it's, it's an attack on our pride. It's an attack on our self-worship, as Dustin said. Uh, we, we like to hold ourselves higher than what we are. When I look in the mirror, I mean, I like to look. I like to judge everybody else by my intentions. Or I like to judge myself by my intentions, and judge everybody else by their actions. That's kind of what we tend to do. My intentions are good. I, my intentions may, be, or they may seem good, but to be to be humble in spirit means that we are going to actually accept who we are. And who we are are sinners saved by grace. 
And if we remember that, it's not that big a deal to mop somebody else's mess up. It's not that big a deal to do the things that go unnoticed. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I don't need recognition for the things that I do. I don't need somebody telling me good job all the time and and some kind of whatever limelight, whatever it is, but yet my flesh desires that. And so Peter's saying, be humble in spirit. Funny thing about the proud spirits. You can see them. It has no it has nothing to do with your position. The proudest spirit, the most puffed up, prideful person, you can find them who's a king and you can find them who's a slave. And you can also find the most humble spirit in the same positions. So your actual position has nothing to do with your humility. It is all about the heart's posture. And that starts with humility towards God. When we know, and, and there's times when your mind does different things, but you guys know if you're, if you're saved, that when, when we realize we are utterly dependent on God for life and everything that sustains us, and we feel sinful and unworthy, and we look at ourselves apart from God's grace, that's when we're humbled. And that's when we can go forward. And also, by the way, that's when God uses us the most. That's when doors start opening. That's when God's blessings start flowing in. And you say, wow, I do not deserve to even be a part of this. I do not deserve to be able to preach the gospel to anybody. And yet here he is using me. That's when he uses you. And then we're talking about humility towards others, which means... I'm not afraid to get my hands dirty. I'm not afraid to go to the places where Jesus would have went. And so those are the five, the five qualities that he gives in verse 8. Um, a lot of qualities there. A lot in that. Basically, verse 8, in a nutshell, is how to live as a Christian in a Christian community. This is how you act towards one another. This is how you treat one another. And then he goes on in verse 9, and he gives some specific examples. He says, Do not repay evil for evil or reveling for reveling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. So don't repay evil for evil. Why is it that when somebody does us wrong, we immediately have a desire to wrong them back. I heard of one sermon a long time ago talking about bright lights. Dylan has a song about bright lights. I don't know where he is. But the guy was talking about how he's driving along and he dims his lights for the car coming. That guy leaves his lights on so he pops them back on. I'll show you. Why is it that we do that? I remember my dad, he would, he, my dad had a real bad problem with people following him too close. I mean, he would get fighting mad in a hurry over that. I remember one time he slowed way down so this car would pass him. It's amazing the things that you remember, the little things. But this car would pass him, and as soon as it went around him, he hammers it and gets right up on him, and he's doing him the exact same way he was doing my dad. 
And I can't be too critical of that because I find myself wanting to do that all the time. Why? Why do we do that? If I'm so upset with somebody following me close for all kinds of reasons, part of it's safety. I mean, it really is a safety issue. But then I'm going to turn around and put my own family at risk and follow them close. Why would? Why do we do that? I don't understand it. Well, I'll tell you why. It's because we're sinners. We're still left in this flesh that's a struggle with sin. But Peter's saying, don't do it. Don't repay evil for evil. He just—he doesn't. That's it. That's all he says. Don't do it. Um, Matthew five forty four. He says, "But I say to you, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you." That's what Jesus says. Peter says, "Don't return evil for evil." Jesus says, "Love." Your enemies. People may be coming into your mind right now. People who are giving you hard times at work or people who are giving you hard times at school or or whatever it is, there's 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 people in our lives that are against us. And Jesus says to love them. And he says to pray for them. And that helps. It's amazing how much that helps when you start praying for the people. I worry a lot. I get to thinking of people that are doing this and doing that, and my mind goes to worrying about it. And I, you know, I've realized if I would spend half the amount of time praying for them as I do worrying about them, or worrying about what they're doing, or worrying about the all the issues, a lot of times the problems would disappear. Because a lot of times the problems are all here. Do you guys do that? Do you, do you make fights up that don't even happen? Like, I'm going to have this all, I'm going to talk to this guy and I know he's going to say this and this and he's going to be mad about this and I'm going to say, and I got the whole thing and then you actually go and talk to him and they're completely, all that stuff's not even close and they're really just friendly and nice about it. Happens all the time to me. I don't know why. I don't know why, but... Peter's saying, don't do that. Stop with the mind games, you know. Then he says, don't repay reveling for reveling. The word reveling is kind of like an insult or like slander. And it's the same thing with the evil for evil. Somebody starts talking bad about you, what do you want to do? I know too much about that person for them to be talking bad about me. Listen to this. And you just start unloading. Blast after blast. Don't don't do that. And this is true in general. This is true in our daily lives in the world. But this is so especially true in the church because these things will split a church. These things will split a relationship between two families that has been solid, and they've been like families. They've been like brothers and sisters as they should have been, and then. One little thing, one little evil act, and then a return of evil act, and then pretty soon it's the Hatfields and McCoys, and there's a battle royal going on. We have to stop it before it starts. As Peter is saying, don't do it. Someone talks bad about you, pray for them. 
Someone talks bad about you, go to them and find out if you've offended them. And if you have, repent of that. But don't add, don't heap on, just keep heaping piles on the problem by going back and forth with evil for evil, insult for insult, slander for slander. And pretty soon you have a mountain of problems that never even should have existed. Now we're called for the opposite. He says, but on the contrary, bless, blessing. We're called to bless those who do evil against us or insult us. Why? Because when we do that to a fellow Christian, it will actually bring conviction and repentance. If I do something towards somebody else, and it may even be small. When I was talking to OB the other night, I was getting out of line. He, I don't even know that he realized it. But in my heart, I was full of pride. And we were talking about one this specific topic, and he just said, well, brother... I just would like to see people, you know, come with an open mind, like I said. I was like, whatever. Then the next morning I open this and start re- and I read this verse. I was like, oh, wow. That's the only thing I could think of was that thing right there. All he did was just bless me. He didn't respond with any kind of retaliation or argument. And I appreciate that. I hope I'm not embarrassing him. I think I might be a little... But but the truth is it, it is it was a perfect example of what Peter is saying to do because by his humility I was convicted and I, and I sent him a text that morning apologizing. God brought me to repentance because he acted what in accordance with what Peter was saying here, and that's why we do it. If we retaliate. You can't do that. A retaliation, returning evil for evil, reveling for reveling, is just going to bring more, and it's going to go back and forth, and neither one of you is going to have to going to repent, and somebody else from the outside is eventually going to have to come and rebuke you in order to get this whole mess cleared up. Or worse, nobody comes from the outside. Nobody, maybe nobody even knows what's going on, and pretty soon you have such a severed relationship between yourselves, which also means you have a severed relationship between your God, and we have this whole, this whole problem, this whole mess that is not glorifying to God. So he says to bless those, bless them, and it's going to bring repentance. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's incredible. To me, that's incredible. That is not how the world works. I've had a lot of psychology classes in college, and they never taught us that, not, not one time. There's a little deal that they call reverse psychology, but it's more of a manipulation than it is actual anything else. It's all for the purpose of getting whatever you want. The world doesn't think like this. You can't make this stuff up. This is God. This is God working through his Holy Spirit, and it works in a way that's just amazing and when this happens when those things happen god gets glory 
And that's the bottom line. That's, our, that's what we're striving for. That's our call as Christians is to glorify God. We're to preach the gospel. Why? To glorify God. We're to go to him in prayer. Why? To glorify God. We're to study his word. Why? So that he would get glory for himself because he's worthy of that. We're to praise him in song. Why? Because he's worthy of that glory. And when we act as according to what Peter is saying, that's what we do. We glorify him. And then he says at the end of 9, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Because by doing this, by reacting properly to the, and, and taking on these five qualities in your daily lives, in your Christian walk, we will bless them that we come in contact with, and that in turn will be a blessing to us. That's how, we be, that's how we're blessed by God, is well, by obedience. And here we are again. He's given us this instruction. If we obey this instruction, we will be blessed. But he's given us specific things, and by doing that, by avoiding our natural desire to react, and by reacting in a way that he is saying here, which reacting in a way that is according with his word and with his spirit, we will be blessed. And that's incredible. That's amazing. I have never ceased I never cease to be amazed by God's interworkings and how He causes us to work together and live together in harmony with each other, which is also in harmony with Him. And so then Peter appeals to Scripture to finalize his point on these matters. So verse 10 through 12, he says, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek and pe- seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. It's just a quick breakdown, just a quick overview of this, which is basically what Peter has said in the first two verses. This is now in the Psalms basically saying the same thing. But he says, For whoever desires to love life, I desire, I'll keep my tongue from evil on the train. And see good days, he says, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from seeking deceit. I like the language here. Bridle the tongue. Stop it. And listen, it's hard. It's, it's, it's not a natural thing for us. We have to be intentional about stopping the tongue. How many problems would we avoid just by being quiet sometimes and not saying anything. The old saying, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. It's become a cliche, but it's so true. It would solve us so many problems. And not only nice, but um, just even, even with the way that we say things, sometimes a deep breath before you say it can go a long ways. 
and deceit. Let your yes be yes and your no be no and not have to manipulate things and those kind of things. And he says, let him turn away from evil and do good. Just turn away from evil and do good. It, it, it seems so simple. And then seek and pursue it. Seek and pursue goodness. How do we do that? We seek and pursue Christ. And we do that through his word, through prayer. It's an amazing, it, it really it, it is, it is true how much time you spend in his word will directly impact your thoughts, your thought through the day, your thought through the week, and your actions. If you're having a hard time, if, if these things don't seem to fit what you're examining yourself, if, if you don't see these qualities in you, there's probably, I, I would, there's a very good chance you're not spending very much time in scriptures. Because the scriptures, I had one guy tell me, he, he said, uh, I was a very young Christian. He said, do you preach? I said, no, not really. He said, well, you keep reading the word and you'll be preaching. He said, if you keep putting it in you, it has to come out. And that is a fact. And it's not only about coming out with your words, but you keep putting the word in you and it will come out through your actions. It has to. It's alive. It's not, it's not like other books. So he says, seek and pursue it for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His, his people. He loves us. He really does love us, which is incredible by itself, but he does. He loves you. And his ears are open to their prayer. When we pray, he really does hear us. There's times when it may not feel like it, but trust me, he does. If you belong to him, the Father knows his children's voice. How blessed are we? How blessed are we? But then it says the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And you do not want to be, you you do not want to be in a position where the face of the Lord is against you. We can go through the Old Testament and we can see how God handles his enemies. And he does. And he will deal with them. Every single one of those wicked people who have failed to repent, who have not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, will be dealt with. They're at, his face is against them. If you're one of those, it's okay, it's not too late. You can put your faith in Christ and he will save you. But if you don't, you will perish. And I'm not talking about a deathly, earthly perishing we're talking about eternal punishment under the wrath of god we don't want to be there you don't want to be there he provided an escape a loving escape of christ while we were yet sinners while our heart was so hard towards god he come and he saves us he died in our place 
And, and how, so these things, they seem hard. We say, yeah, it's hard. It's against my flesh. But he's given us a way to overcome that too. He's provided us a comforter. The Holy Spirit lives in us. Let's stop making excuses and let's do it. And if you're sitting here and your heart is hard and you still have that heart of stone and you're thinking this sounds like a bunch of nonsense and you're thinking that this this can't be true. I've done too much. I've done too many bad things. He doesn't know how many bad things I've done. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. His grace is sufficient for any who will come to him. If you're in that camp, I pray, I beg you, bow a knee to Christ today. It's much better to do it now. He's calling. He's calling. And praise for the ones who who aren't. I mean, to think that we're not in that camp where his face is against us is true grace because we deserved it. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So let's, let's, let's think on these things. Let's think on these qualities. And let's strive to live that way. Let's strive to make my life a reflection of those, what Peter is asking here. Let's strive as a church to make our church known for those five qualities. That when people say something about Sovereign Grace Bible Church. Anybody they know would they would say, Oh yeah, they're they're tender hearted, they're kind, they're humble. That would be how how much better of an of a testimony for a church than that. I'd rather have that than than anything else. And that that everybody would always notice that we love one another. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, God, you know my heart this morning. And you know how far short I've come in this particular subject. You know where my struggles are. And I praise you for even bringing this scripture in line and and. and putting it here in front of me if for nobody else's sake it was for me god i praise you for that and i pray lord that i would follow through that i would quit making excuses and that i would live this out for your glory because you're worthy god remind me of your glory remind me of how worthy you are of my praise on a daily basis let me repent of my evil ways and come to you with humility and let me treat my brethren and kindness and humility. And let us all do that. And if we do, it would be a glorious picture of your gospel. Father, I just praise you. I, I, I praise you uh, for those who are here. And I pray that this that this message, that you would take it and, and use it in their hearts. God, that you would, and that you would get glory for yourself. And that we would always seek to serve and to glorify you. In Jesus' name.